All right. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad you are with us this morning. Glad you joined us. Uh, we are on week number five of a series that we're doing here tonight on the biblical book of Nehemiah called Difference Makers, right? And so uh, throughout this series, we've been kind of talking about um, the fact that God uses ordinary people, ordinary people like Nehemiah, but also ordinary people like you and like me to impact our worlds, to make a difference uh, in the lives and in the cities and in the families and in the uh, organizations that we're a part of, whatever, that he, he uses us to make a difference in the world too. And so last week we talked about uh, sort of the power of vision plus hustle, right? We talked about, uh, uh, we looked at um, Nehemiah chapter 2 a little bit and, and looked at one and a half verses that had to do with vision. And then we looked at all of Nehemiah chapter 3 and that's 32 verses uh, about the hard work, about the hustle that went along with it. We said that's, that's typically how God uses uh, difference makers in our world. One and a half parts vision followed by 32 parts of hard work, right? Just, just going and slugging it out and, and keeping pushing forward to achieve and to see uh, to see God's dream realized in our lives. Can we do it alone? Of course not. It's, it's God all the way. But it does involve our partnership and our cooperation with him. This week, we're going to take a look at Nehemiah chapter 4. And this one has to do, uh, the, the whole chapter is really about opposition. And in fact, it's not alone. We see the first part of opposition, we start, it shows up in chapter 2. It shows up again in chapter 6. We see it as kind of a, a theme throughout the book. But really, all of Nehemiah chapter 4 has to deal with opposition. Because here's what I know to be true. When you and I start moving forward, we start moving into action, we start living out our faith, we start walking forward towards a God-given dream or vision or direction for our lives, opposition comes a-rolling in. It does every single time. Anytime God leads you to do anything that's good or purposeful or impactful or generous or whatever for his kingdom, opposition will be right there. You guys know that, uh, many of you know that Tina and I have, this is our, the second church that Tina and I have started. For the last 20 plus years, we have uh, been around church planting. We've been around, and, and specifically, we've been around a lot of church planters. And I, I've, I've coached them, I've recruited them, I've trained them. And I have to say, I love church planters. They're fun people to be around, people that follow God, that take risks to see God's kingdom move forward, to help other people, people that are far from God, come into a relationship with Jesus, and I mean, that are willing to do whatever it takes to see that kind of thing happen. These are these are my kind of people. Right? I mean, these are just awesome people. They're, they're taking risks to see uh, people come to know Jesus, to see churches raised up, to see disciples made, and on and on. It's really awesome and encouraging, inspiring to be around people like that. But here's the deal. Here's what I've also seen over the last 20 plus years of working with church planners is that it, I think Satan's number one tool to take out church planners, and really I would say Satan's probably number one tool to take out most of us that are pursuing God-sized dreams in our lives is discouragement. And every time I say something important, God's going to play uh, church bells in the background to make sure you pay attention. You hear that? Anyway, we'll go with that. But Satan's number one tool that he uses to take people out of ministry and out of pursuing his dreams really is, in just, is discouragement. In the church world, uh, I'm amazed at how often people line up to tell you that you're doing it wrong, to sometimes call you names, to, to, you know, to tell you that it'll never work, to try and discourage you or oppose you or whatever, all kinds of things. In the church world, it's particularly frustrating because oftentimes it comes from people that you would think would be on board. Like, let me give you an example, for instance. If you start reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, their biographies written about Jesus, right? Who are the people that were most opposed to Jesus' message and ministry? Who was it? The Pharisees. Who are who? What are Pharisees? 
Pharisees are the religious leaders, right? The people that should have been most on board. Look, gold star next year, St. Mark. <laughs> right? But the people that should have been most on board with the vision and say, man, I'm going to pour out my life with you, Jesus, to see God's kingdom come and God's will be done, to see people that are far from God come back into God's family and back into God's kingdom and see the church rise up should have been the religious leaders, right? And that's so often that's the case in the church too. The people that you would think would be most on board is the church church people. And you know what? So often it is the church people that bring the opposition. And so it's discouraging. I met with a pastor friend uh, just in the last couple of weeks uh, that's been serving at a growing and high impact church for almost two decades. The church is thriving. I mean, it's really, it's a great church. Church is thriving, doing all kinds of great stuff. They're seeing all kinds of people come to know Jesus. They're seeing disciples raised up, all kinds of cool ministries to people that are hurting and in need uh, and, and whatever. And I, anyway, I got together with this pastor and, uh, and he said to me, he said, you know what? I don't know how much longer I can do this. He said, I, I'm just being honest here. He said, my, my wife and I, we've talked it over and I think maybe it's just time for us to do something else. And he went on to tell me about how it's been such a discouraging season. As they've been pushing forward and moving forward, there's been opposition. There's been people that have been talking, right? Talking to one another and, and, and spreading things around saying, you know what? I don't think he's a very good leader. I don't think we should follow him. I don't like where he's taking us. I don't like what he's doing. And he came in. You could just see it. His shoulders were slumped over. He just, he was like, I don't, I don't think I can keep going. I don't think I can keep going like this. And you know, so it's discouragement that takes up. God's doing amazing things, right, in, in their midst. And, and it's discouragement that comes in in the form of opposition and makes them feel like the dream is dead. Makes them feel like it's just not worth it. Like, uh, just like giving up. And, and you know, I, I hear stories like that and, and part of it resonates with me. And I'm like, I know what that feels like. And if you have pursued or followed Jesus for very long, if you have pursued kingdom dreams, I bet you know what that feels like too. And it's exactly what we end up seeing in Nehemiah chapter 4. Here's kind of the, the big picture I'm just going to say on this. Is that any time God leads you to do anything good and purposeful and impactful for his kingdom, opposition will be right there with you all the way. You guys remember where we left off in, in Nehemiah? Like I said, last week, Nehemiah chapter 2, we looked at one and a half verses of vision where he says, Nehemiah says to the people living in Jerusalem, he says, you see the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem, he says, lies in ruin and its gates have been burned with fire. And he says to the people, come, let's rebuild the wall. Right? He's like, this is, this is God's dream. This is God's purpose. We are going to put our, our, our efforts and our focus on this and we're going to rebuild the city and the people of God and the, the city of God. And the people jump in. We, we, said, we looked last week, all of chapter 3 is sort of a rapid fire succession of all the people that jumped in and they built the wall. Many of them right in front of their houses. They built the kingdom. They built the city of God. And so we, that, that's kind of where we were uh, in, in chapter 3. Each of them builds it, it jumps in, each of them starts doing their part, each of them is working to accomplish and to see the fulfillment of God's dreams and plans for his people. And then we come to Nehemiah chapter 4, and we'll start with verse 1. Again, if you can't see it, hit the screens, get the glare, or whatever, it's in the Ignite Church app. You can follow along all the scriptures and notes from there. 
Nehemiah chapter 4, starting with verse 1, says, When Sanballat, which if you remember, we saw him a couple of chapters ago as well, he was a governor of one of the areas kind of around Jerusalem, and he was not happy about, uh, about Nehemiah and the people uh, starting this work to rebuild Jerusalem. It was threatening to him. He sort of wanted things to stay as they were. He wanted to remain in power. He wanted to remain the big man, right, kind of thing. And, uh, and he wanted to continue to, to reap the benefits, and it was lucrative for him for things to stay the way the way things are and so he's not happy but when Sam Ballot heard that the people were rebuilding the wall listen to this he became angry and was greatly incensed he was just ticked off he ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria he said what are those feeble Jews doing it's interesting this is neither here nor there but it gives it a, a picture of the language the word feeble that they use there literally it's the same word that if you take a flower and you cut it off and it starts withering up that's the word he's using he's saying what are these withering dying Jews what are they doing what are they doing Will they restore the wall? Will they uh, offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burnt as they are? Verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down that wall of stones, right? It's sort of like trash. It's like uh, 500 B.C. trash talking, right? He's saying, he's saying, are you kidding me? You're dead, right? There's no way. It's like Mr. Wonderful. If you've ever watched, uh, watched that show, Mr. Wonderful, you're dead to me, right? He's saying, he's saying, there's no way you can do this. The, the, the one guy's saying, even a little fox climbs up on the, on the wall that you're building, the whole thing will just fall apart. There's nothing to it. It's too big a task for you. You are not up for it. You are not man enough to rebuild this. You are not woman enough to rebuild. You, there's no way. You will fail. That's what he's saying. He's just talking them down. He's, he's, he's trash talking like that. Why are you even trying? And again, I'll just go back and say, man, I think if you have ever tried to step forward in faith and follow God, you've probably felt this way before. Sometimes it is external opposition and voices that will say that. Sometimes it's internal opposition where we hear voices from our past or something like that whispering. It's, either way, it's the enemy at work, right? I mean, kind of whispering, saying, you can't possibly do that. You are not qualified enough. You're not good enough, smart enough, strong enough. There is no way you can keep, that you can have success here. Either way, the enemy uses it to try and discourage and distract and defeat you. He wants you to quit. It's how the enemy works. Uh, and we see this all the time. I mean, sometimes we'll see this with new believers. In fact, oftentimes we'll, we'll even warn new believers when people first, right away, they just come and they put their faith and their trust in Jesus right, for the first time and it's fresh and it's new and they are just coming to life and you can see it right before you, right? I mean, they're, they're coming to life. Sometimes we'll warn them and say, you know what? Just so you know, there is an enemy that's real and he would like nothing more. He'll probably come after you. <laughs> he would like nothing more than to get into it, to disrupt your life and to get you to doubt this decision and get you to turn back to your own sins and don't go on home. Because right now, you are a threat to him. You're a threat. And opposition will come. And sometimes, like I said, it comes in all different kinds of forms. But sometimes it happens where people will make a, a, a fresh commitment to Jesus and they'll go home and they'll tell their spouse or they'll tell their siblings or they'll tell their mom and dad and their mom and dad or their spouse they're not so crazy about this new decision right anybody ever seen this happen before right i mean like sometimes people sometimes uh, family or friends or whatever they'll feel a little threatened oh you think you're better than us now 
there'll be that, there'll be that kind of a conversation. Oh, I see a little holier than thou kind of thing going on with you. You know, I know about your past. I know who you are. I know what you've done. You're not all that. Right? I mean, you kind of get some pushback, some opposition that will come right away. Sometimes it'll be it'll be in the form of people sort of inviting you back into your old lifestyle. Like, come on, just come. It's not a big deal. Don't be all goody two shoes on us. What are you? Amish or something, right? Like, well, don't, don't, don't do that. Come with us. Come hang with your old friends again. Or maybe it could be, it, I mean, it could be all kinds of things, right? This plays out in all kinds of ways. It could be that God's been convicting you about the debt load that you have in your life. And he said, you know what? It's time for you to start walking out of debt and into financial freedom. And God has been nudging you. And you start taking some of those steps. You are stepping, you're rebuilding your financial wall, right? You're, you're, you're taking some of those steps. And, and all of a sudden, as soon as you get going, you start getting a little momentum going. And all of a sudden, opposition shows up. And again, your friends or family or whoever says, you have got to be an idiot. Like, why wouldn't you live you know, this kind of lifestyle? Yeah, debt's normal. Everybody has it. Just come on. Come and do this kind of thing, right? And you start taking some steps, and all of a sudden, uh, you start getting some external opposition. You can pretty much set your timer when you start working this stuff out. Your car will break down. Your furnace will probably go out. Right? I mean, like there's, there's all that kind of opposition, too. We got back from vacation and had virtually everything break down on us. We had a flat tire when we drove in the driveway. We had uh, the air conditioner. It's that kind of it's opposition. It's meant to discourage and distract and destroy and keep us from moving forward with God. We've got some elementary school kids that I know have, have longed to see some of their friends at school come to know Jesus. And so they've uh, maybe invited them to church. Others have taken their Bibles to school and wanted to talk to their friends about it over lunch or over recess. We've got some, some older kids that maybe get some pushback. They start getting into some upper-level science classes in middle school and high school, and they have questions about how all this stuff fits together, about how the Bible and faith uh, lines up and, and, and matches up with what science teaches. And so they might start asking some questions, and kind of, they, which kind of reveals their cards and say, man, I think maybe there's a God behind this, you know, kind of thing. And they might get some they might get some significant pushback there right or, or, or your kid who brings the Bible on the bus they might get some pushback some opposition when they start taking steps forward with Jesus by the time you get to college it's not unusual at all. I can remember being in classes where I was the only Christian and it was clear like philosophy kind of classes and it's and it's painted in such a way that like you have to be an idiot to follow Jesus now who of you you know that kind of thing who of you would really say that he rose from the dead? I mean, you'd have to be an intellectual midget. But like, could, is there someone that might have the audacity to believe that? And you'd be like, well, I mean, people are looking around. You're like, I mean, I don't know. Like, there, there are times and there are seasons, and then there's opposition that comes with that, right? People that, that kind of maybe look down on you like, man, I believe in stuff you can prove. I don't believe in this this Christianity mumbo-jumbo, but opposition comes with that. When we start taking a stand, when we start pushing forward, we've got, we've got people even in our church and friends and family members that have started uh, walking out of addiction. God's sort of uh, been prompting them to take steps to walk out of addiction and into freedom, and they've received some opposition, right? Some family and some friends that were not super happy about, about uh, them taking steps, and maybe a part of it could be that if, if we are, are in a habit of drinking together or doing drugs together, whatever, and, and you are saying that you're an addict or you're an alcoholic, what does that say about me, right? I mean, all of a sudden, there's some, there's some uh, mixed motives here. They're like, no, no, you're not an alcoholic. Come on, it's just fun. We're, there's nothing bad. We're just going to go hang out. There's opposition. And what are you, a goody two-shoes now? Are you Amish? Don't you care about your people anymore? I mean, like, you get some pushback on that kind of uh, thing. 
or maybe <laughs> this is this will be my last one. But, but we find instances too, and you know this is the case. Maybe God's talking to you, and you've been you've kind of had a vision saying, you know, I think God's calling me to be a part of serving regularly at the church. And so for the first time, you've stepped up and stepped into ministry. And I'll tell you what, you can it's predictable, right? It's predictable. But you step up and you start following God and say, Yes, I'm gonna be a part of the mission and ministry of the local church, right? And and inevitably the day that you're supposed to start serving, you'll probably oversleep. <laughs> I mean, you'll you'll probably have a huge major fight on the way to church. Maybe on the way, one of your kids throws up Fruit Loops all over you. Or something. I mean, like it's like right. I mean, it's like that kind of experience. There's opposition everywhere. The enemy would love to use it to discourage, to distract, to defeat, to destroy anything that's of His kingdom to keep you from moving forward with Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? Is that not true? Have we not experienced this in our lives? Absolutely. I I, I, I share this with permission, but I, I was talking uh, with Ryan and Britt, uh, I don't know, months ago now probably, but they were talking about ways that they have seen this in their lives over and over and over again, like to the point where you just expect it, right? Anytime you're taking a step forward with Jesus or you're stepping out into leadership or into service or into whatever, the next step of what God has for you, man, all hell breaks loose, right? I mean, all kinds of things happen. I mean, your pipes burst in your house, your car drops the front end out of it, right? I mean, like, not to mention just the stress and the tension and the ways that uh, inter interpersonal kind of stuff happens. It's, it's predictable, right? It's predictable. It happens over and over and over. Ephesians 6 reminds us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. What it means is it's not really the sand ballots of the world, right, that are the issue. It's not the people oftentimes that are they're giving pushback in our lives or they're asking questions or, or, or whatever. That's not the real issue. Often the opposition we face is not so much about the person that's standing in front of us or even the per person working against us, but it's about our spiritual enemy who is ultimately behind it, who is trying to use it again to discourage and distract and destroy the work of God's kingdom. Anytime you start building for God's kingdom, the enemy will bring opposition. But here's the deal, and I'll just hit the pause button here for a second if I can. For some of us, for some of us, the devil isn't really bothering you so much these days because you're not a threat. He's got you right where he wants you. For instance, if you if your life is pretty much like coasting along and things are pretty smooth sailing, you're comfortable, you're pretty much self-absorbed life, if, if it's sort of all about you and your family, whatever it is that we want, then there probably isn't going to be too much opposition. If you're just occasionally going to church, you know, just maybe kind of throwing up a prayer uh, at supper or something sometimes, you don't really open up God's book or try to put it into practice. If you're comfortable, then in all honesty, you might not be much of a threat there. You might not be experiencing much opposition. It's interesting in our story, Sanballat didn't go after the people who were participating. The people he went after were those that were actually building, those that were leading, those that were doing the work and seeing the kingdom and the city of God be built up. But the second, friends, the second, the moment that you step up, the moment that you say, I am all in with Jesus, the moment you say, God, I want my life to be, use me, like, all yours, I'm all in, use me for whatever it is that you have, and, and as he opens up and puts vision before you, you start stepping into that, the moment you are all in like that, you can expect, you can expect opposition. 
You can expect it because you are a target. Expect opposition. There will be people booing you. There will be critics. There will be naysayers and doubters and name callers. And what I want you to see here as we keep going, moving forward, is I want you to look at how does Nehemiah respond to all this? We're going to go ahead with, uh, again, chapter 4, verse 4, says this. This is how Nehemiah responds. He says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. <laughs> Give them over as plunder in the, in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Then he goes on and says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Now, I wanna, I'm going to make two comments here, but the first one is this. It's interesting. How does he respond? He prays. He brings it to God. And he keeps going. He, he brings it to God and he pushes forward. Now, the, the, the part that maybe you get hung up on, I got a little hung up on it as we were reading through it, is you're like, did you hear his prayer? He kind of throws down, doesn't he? I mean, he's kind of like, he, if you've ever wondered, is it okay if I am completely raw and transparent in my prayer life? If you have ever wondered, like, does God really care? Is he able to handle me when I don't have everything in a nice, neat little box and it all put together? And I'm just dumping out my raw emotions for God is that okay? If you've ever wondered that Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 answer the question because it is, right? This is just his raw kind of prayer. He kind of says, man, God, bring justice, right? God, bring what, do whatever you have to do to keep the mission moving forward. These people that oppose you, oppose them is basically what he's saying. It's this, this raw sort of emotion. Now, hopefully, is that where he stays? No, not forever, but he doesn't actually spend that much time on it. He prays and he's like, okay, let's get back to work. And he says that they kept building, they built it till the wall was half its height because the people worked with all their heart. I don't know about you, but that's a good word for me. Don't let the enemy discourage you or distract you or keep you from doing what it is that God has called you to do. Just because some around you are saying, might be saying, you'll never be able to do this. They might be saying, don't quit your day job. They might be saying you're too old or you're too young or you don't know enough or you're not strong enough or you don't whatever. Just because the voices of your past are saying, maybe you'll never amount to, to anything. Just because others maybe feel threatened. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get distracted. Bring it to God and keep building what he's put before you. I will make a distinction here, and I think this is an important one, especially in our day and age. Sanballat, in this story, he is not a trusted friend, is he? He is not a trusted friend. Because I'm just going to make a distinction, because there are times when friends, right, people that know us, that love us, that care about us, will come to us with words about us. Maybe uh, saying, I feel like you're heading in the wrong direction. I feel like this is, maybe you're... You know, whatever. I feel like getting off track here. You're not really. This is going in a direction where you're you're not going to keep walking hand in hand with the Lord. Maybe it's a distraction. It's taking you. They might come up to you with an issue of character, an issue where they feel hurt or felt like you were in the wrong or sinned on them or something. And if they're coming with with motives and hearts that are humble, and there's enough relationship that you know, like I think they've got my back, right? I think they think these are somebody that cares about me, even if you don't see it. That's where a lot of times I'll write it down and I'll actually go and share it with a couple other trusted friends and say, is there something to this? Because the thing is, friends, and this is true, right? we all have blind spots, do we not? 
And we need the body of Christ. We need other Christ followers to come alongside us and say, you know what? I know, I know you want to quit, or I know you want to do this, or you want to go, but, but, but God, is that's not what God's saying to you here. Here's some scripture, let's look at it together. You see what I'm saying? We all need that kind of pushback. So when it comes to, to friends or the body of Christ speaking to you, particularly for me, if I hear two, if two or three different trusted friends confirm something, I'll take that very seriously, and I'll, I'll take it before the Lord and say, you know what, there's something here. I think that God's trying to say to me. And so we need that kind of thing. All of us do, 100% of us need that. But, but this is not what Sam Ballant's coming. This is not the motive, right? He's coming uh, with opposition. He is coming to oppose, to try and stop the work that God is doing. And in that instance, Nehemiah's got it right on. He brings it to God, and he keeps moving forward. He keeps pushing forward. And that's exactly what we need to do as well. Let's keep going. Uh, Nehemiah uh, verse, uh, verse 7 here. It says this, But when Sam Ballant, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps in the wall were being closed in. They became very, very angry. Verse 8, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Verse 9, but we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Verse 10. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. All our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and they, we will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Ten times over. Can you imagine? Just over and over and over and over. They're going to be among us. They're going to kill us. They're going to take us out. Well, here's what's happening. When trash talking and name calling and discouragement doesn't work, they kind of take it up a notch. They plotted together, it says, to stir up trouble. That's what opposition takes to a whole different level. Now, it's interesting to me, uh, in verse 1, it starts out saying, Sat, Sanballat, saw what was happening. He became angry, right? So it's him. In verse 3, it says, now we find Tobiah at his side, and now he's mad too. By the time you get to verse 7, it's Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashton. There's probably hundreds of people at this point. There's tons. There's scores of people that are all mad. They're all furious. The opposition is growing and growing and growing. And I'll tell you what, that happens in real life too. I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me in, in, in church and in ministry and church planting and all that kind of stuff. I'll meet with somebody and, uh, and they'll tell me about something that we're doing as a church. It could be our focus to help reach people that are far from God. It could be our vision to help multiply churches around the region. It could be something that we preached on or, or uh, some kind of people that we're attracting. It could be a style issue. It could be all kinds of things. And they'll spend time telling me how they think what we're doing is wrong or how it's not what they want, would choose or what they would do. And then oftentimes it will end with these words. And I'm not the only one who thinks so. Have you ever had that kind of experience? I'm not, I'm not the only, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you who, but man, there's a whole bunch of us that are, that are on board with this. And I have to, have you ever heard that? Never seen that? Man, it happens all the time. And I have to say this in the church world, particularly, this makes me kind of ticked. And here's why. Here's why. In the church, and I understand the relationships out there, right, out in the world, uh, are a certain way and, and whatever else. But, but Jesus is very clear about the kind of relationships we are to have in the church. 
and he's clear in Matthew 5, in Matthew 18, scores of other places. He says, no, 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 in the church, you don't handle conflict. You don't handle differences of opinion. You don't handle issues of disunity like that. No, when you have a problem, you go to that person directly. You speak, you come humbly, you speak with them, you share. If you feel like you've been sinned on, you share that, right? If you feel like you've maybe sinned on them, if, you're, if you feel like you're not on the same page, you go to them and you talk it through. Jesus says it's, so, it's such a big deal that even if you're on your way to worship and you remember on your way to worship that somebody has something against you, he said, stop. Before you go back to worship, go to that person, be reconciled, and then go back and worship together. It's a huge deal to Jesus. It's a huge deal in the church. Jesus prays for unity, right? He prays for restoration for his people, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. So when somebody comes to me and says, and, and, and basically says, I think this, and there's tons of other people that think this too. Why does that tick me off? It ticks me off because we're saying, no, we haven't talked to you. We've been going and talking to all kinds of other people about it. And we've stirred up trouble. And we've, we've, we've sown seeds of disunity. And we've allowed this to fester rather than coming to you directly. And friends, can I just say, that has no place in the church. No place in the church, right? We deal with things directly as we follow Jesus. It's part of the deal. <laughs> All right. Uh, I was thinking this week and just thinking, you know what? It's interesting to me because I don't think I've ever had somebody come come to me with that line, that whole, uh, and all of us. I don't think I've ever had somebody come with something positive. And why is that, right? Like, like I've never had somebody show up and say, you know what? We've been seeing you, and you've been serving, and you have been uh, leading so well, and you've been, you know, all this kind of stuff, and I'm not the only one that thinks so. Right? <laughs> like, I, I've never had somebody say that. It just, it, it only happens in the negative. You know, we've noticed, Tamika, that you serve with such humility, that you are, you know, behind the scenes. You're always making everything work. We see Jesus in you, and I'm not, I'm not going to name names or anything, but we've been talking about it, and that's what we see. I mean, that just doesn't happen in the church, and, and actually... That's probably more in line with the mission of Jesus, isn't it? Like, man, we, we've been gossiping about how great you are. We've been gossiping about how we see you making a difference for the kingdom of God and the mission of Jesus. Now, that is church, right? That is how we're meant to live. Anything else, if, if you, and we are all susceptible to this. I will, I'm putting myself right in the middle of this. All of us, but if you find yourself not willing to meet with somebody that you have an issue with, but instead whispering and gossiping and slandering and talking to other people about them, can I just say, you are part of the opposition. You are being used by the enemy in that instance. And the only appropriate response if we find ourselves in that setting is repentance, right? Is that we turn back to God and say, God, I'm sorry. And I, I do this all the time, right? I mean, God's always bringing stuff up to me where I have to go back and be like, ah, I blew that too, didn't I, God? Like, you go back, you say, man, I'm sorry. And sometimes God will let you and say, it's good. Go back to that person and apologize, right? That's the only, because the, in the body of Christ, that is how we work. Anything else, to be honest, is probably the enemy is behind it, probably trying to use it to distract and discourage and defeat and keep us from moving forward with the kingdom of God. You with me? You hear what I'm saying? You smell what I'm stepping in? <laughs> All, right. All right, I better keep going then. Um, Nehemiah, let's see. Uh, 
Yeah, I'll, I will mention this before you go on. I think it's interesting to notice what comes up when this doesn't happen. When we when we go to other people, we start whispering, we start talking. According to this passage, that kind of opposition it stirs up fear, it stirs stirs up discouragement, and it stirs up weariness to God's people. Right? It's, it's where the people are like their strength has given out. There's, it's like my friend that I was telling you about earlier, the, the guy that's been in ministry at the same place for almost 20 years, almost two decades. His, his shoulders are slumped over. He's like, I just don't know how much longer I can do that. It's a telltale sign of opposition and of the enemy at work behind it uh, with, with his fiery bugs. What we need to do, how, what did Nehemiah do? Nehemiah prayed again. He responded to the threats by a... By a Man, now there's birds all over. <laughs> it's like wild kingdom out here. But uh, but anyway, so he, he responds by praying again. He responds by, he adapts his plan. He posts guards and all that kind of stuff. And then I want you to just, I want you to listen. Because uh, th verse 13, uh, how else does he respond? Check it out. How he responds to the people. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest point of the wall, the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked... Uh, things over, I stood up, and this is what he says, and I said to the nobles, to the officials, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. He says this, remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, and fight for your sons and your daughters, for your wives and your homes. Man, I could preach an entire message on that verse, right? That, those two verses right there. This is awesome. Nehemiah prays again. He adjusts his plan, and then he reminds himself, and he reminds the people of God not to be afraid, but to remember God, to remember the Lord. He says, who is great and awesome. Remember the great things he has done. Remember who it is that called you to this in the first place. It wasn't just your idea to walk out of, uh, you know, walk out of addiction and sin and whatever into freedom. No, that was, that was his plan. In him, it wasn't just your idea to, to go and share with the kids at school or whatever. No, that was Jesus at work in you. He said, remember who's behind the plan. Remember whose dream this is and move forward. You do not need to, don't take these, these, uh, this opposition so seriously. Remember the Lord. Lift your eyes up off of the opposition, off of the problems, the whole like, oh man. It's so bad. We could never do this. What were we thinking? We're weary. We're tired. No, no, no. He says, lift your eyes back up and remember the king is the one that calls you to this. Remember, the king is with you. He is for you. He is in you. He is sovereign over all. He is large and in charge, right? I mean, he's, he's God. He's savior. He's king. He's provider. He is more than able to do what he has asked you to do to accomplish the purposes that he has before you. Remember the Lord. It's God who called you, right, in the ministry. It's God who called you to make a difference at work or at school. It's God who prompted you to serve and to contribute to his church and his kingdom, the ministry happening there. So, so keep moving forward. Lift your eyes. Don't give in to discouragement. Don't surrender to opposition or loneliness that sometimes comes. Instead, set your eyes on Jesus and push forward. God is at work. He is doing something remarkable in you and through you. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't quit. Let's finish this off. Verse 15. We'll read the rest of it. It says, when the enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each of us to our own work. 
From that day on, half of the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. The officer, uh, officers posted themselves behind uh, all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon with the other. Verse 18, and each of the builders wore a sword at uh, his side as he, as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me, and Nehemiah says, verse 19, Then I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Listen to this, verse 20. Whenever you hear the sound uh, of the trumpet, uh, join us there. He says, our God will fight for us. Boom, right? Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us because our God will fight for us. And so they continued to work with half of the men holding spears uh, from the first light of dawn until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night for protection so they can serve as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards who, uh, uh, who were with me took off our clothes. Each one had his weapon even when he went for water. In other words, they were ready. They were ready, right? Night and day. Craig Rochelle puts it this way. This is great. He says, the greater the opposition against you, the greater the opportunity for God to fight for you. Isn't that good? The greater the opposition against you, the greater the opportunity for God to work, to show his power and his glory. Our God will fight for us, he says. But I love how God is interspersed throughout Nehemiah's story, right? I mean, it's, it's not just that, like, Nehemiah had a good idea and he thought, hey, I'm just going to go build this wall. Let's go do it myself on my own. And I kind of take on the opposition by myself. No, 12 different times, we talked about this, 12 different times in this short book of the Bible, Nehemiah hits his knees before God, hits his face before God. God was the originator, right, the, of, of the vision. The vision came actually out of a time of prayer uh, with Nehemiah as he, as he heard the news. Uh, every time Nehemiah hits opposition, what's his knee-jerk reaction? Where is it? What, what, what does he do? He hits his knees, right? He prays. He bows before God and, and, and trusts himself to God and asks God to intervene. You know what God does? Again and again and again. The greater the opposition, the greater the opportunity for God to fight for you as long as you are following him, Right? He's doing the same, he's doing that in Nehemiah's life. God is fighting for his people. I love that it says that even when the, the enemies, the, the opposers, so to speak, even when they heard uh, about what was happening, that, that despite their best efforts, the people were continuing to rebuild, that God had thwarted their plans and their, their all that kind of stuff. They were discouraged, they were angry, they were discouraged, they were whatever, because they couldn't stop the work and the move of God. No matter what happened, the people would pray, they would turn it over to God, and they would keep pursuing and keep following and keep doing what God was asking them to do. God was fighting for them, and he is fighting for you, too. He is at work in your life. As you pursue his vision and his plans for you, as you walk with him and follow Jesus, as you point other people back into a relationship with God, as you live out good in this world and you serve and you build his kingdom here, expect opposition, friends, because it'll come. But let me just remind you that that opposition will not prevail. We have an enemy who will try to discourage and distract and destroy, but he is a defeated foe, the Bible teaches. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The enemy cannot and will not ultimately prevail. 
Remember the Lord, as the scripture says. Remember that he will fight for us. So keep moving forward. So keep paying off your debt and using your finances in ways that honor and glorify God. Remember the Lord and keep fighting for your marriage. Keep walking and fighting your way out of addiction and into freedom in Christ. He is fighting for you. Keep moving forward as you pray with and for your kids, as you keep making disciples, as you keep worshiping and growing into wholehearted followers of Jesus. He is fighting for you and he is with you. Do not shrink back. Do not listen to the voice of the enemy in whatever form. Don't listen to the opposition. Keep pursuing the dream that God has put in your heart. When you're discouraged, turn to the Lord and pray and trust yourself to him. And get back to what he's called you to do. The greater the opposition, the greater the opportunity for God to bust in and work. We'll, we'll keep looking at this over the next few weeks. But here's the cool part. Here's the cool part. Is, uh, is that oftentimes, we talked about this earlier, but and we'll see this oftentimes in the midst of opposition. In those moments when we feel like quitting. Victory is just on the other side, right? It is, you push through, you, you hit your knees, you call on the name of the Lord, you keep pushing forward, and there's breakthrough that comes. We talked about this, uh, and, and we'll talk, we'll see it in, in the story here in the next couple of weeks, but God does a miracle in the midst of these people, in the midst of Nehemiah and all the people that are building the wall. In less than two months, they are able to completely restore the city of Jerusalem, something that had taken years and years and years to build the first time, was rebuilt in less than two months. It is miraculous to the point where it's jaw-dropping, even for the enemies, all the people that are watching, that are surrounded, are struck with fear when they hear that, that, that Jerusalem has been rebuilt because they knew that God was in it, right? And I'm just saying, man, I don't know what God's saying, I'm not sure, how, what kind of opposition you might be facing today, but can I just say, man, don't give up. Don't allow those voices of opposition to discourage or distract or to destroy God's work that he's doing in you or the work that he's trying to do through you. Keep being faithful because oftentimes victory is just on the other side. Amen? Amen. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, that is... Uh, our cry, Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to keep following and keep pursuing God. And I know uh, for all, a lot of us, and probably all of us, it's in one way or another, God, there can be uh, so easily become opposition and discouragement in ways that we feel defeated or distracted or whatever else. And it's tempting, God, to give up. And I pray that this morning, or even as we are looking into your word, I pray that you would embolden us and empower us that we would not be people who shrink back, that we would not be people who quit or to give in when the opposition gets fierce, but that we would be your people, your men and women, that we would be quick to our knees to entrust ourselves to you, to, to cry out for your intervention and your power and your healing and your work and everything else, and that we would keep moving forward. And I pray that as we follow you, as we, uh, as we yield ourselves to you, as we do the work of following Jesus and living for Jesus day in and day out throughout our world, wherever it is that you place us, Lord, we pray for breakthrough, we pray for victory, we pray that your kingdom would come, 
that your will would be done, that you would receive all of the honor and the glory and the power, that we would see just a little bit of heaven break through into earth, right? More and more and more. That, we would, that, that Peoria and Morton and Bartonville and uh, East Peoria and West Peoria and all, you know, all around God, every day, it would look more and more like your kingdom and a little bit less like the, the kingdom of this world. So we say, would your kingdom come? Would your will be done? God, have your way in us and through us as we follow you. To the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.